I have to tell you, Psalm 83 is a, is a hard passage. Uh, of all the psalms that we've been going through, starting in Psalm 73, all the way to Psalm 83. Psalm 83 is perhaps the most challenging uh, to date. And part of it is because it's, um, uh, it's a psalm that uh, is raw. Uh, it's a psalm of, of uh, asking God to help. Yes, and that's the, that's the good part. But there are some parts in this psalm that, that uh, can be challenging to us in, in our, in our sensibilities in the 21st century. Um, but as we look at this psalm, I, I want you to understand the overarching theme. See, here's the, here's the deal for us. In between here and heaven, uh, in between here and heaven, when uh, things become so challenging for us, in between here and heaven, pilgrims passing through as followers of Christ and the people of God, we, we know that there are going to be Tough, t- tough days and difficult times. There are going to be those seasons that, that seem to swamp us and storms that rage around us. Pretty good for uh, what we went through last night. But uh, there's going to be times of the flood and there's going to be times of the drought. Um, as followers of Christ, we live life. And in living life, we, we face the, the dangers and uh, the, the difficulties that life brings our way. But when we come to hear the prayer of Psalm 83, when you just peel away all the layers and you look behind the rawness of the, of the words, it is the plea of God's people for him to help. And that's really something that we need to take hold of today. It's something that we need in our lives. We need God to intervene in our lives. And and so when we look at Psalm 83, it's a prayer for God to help us, but it's a prayer for God who is the divine warrior to get involved. You see, God is the divine warrior. He is the one uh, who stands between his people and danger. Uh, We we just sang about this wonderful work of God who helps us and who is the divine warrior. It's, It's God who pleads our cause, who writes our wrongs, who, 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 who breaks our chains, who chases away our shame. He's done that supremely in the person of Jesus Christ. He's done that magnificently in Christ who has rescued us. And so when we look at Psalm 83, let's let's remember what God the divine warrior has already done for us. He, He has provided rescue from our sin and our shame through the death of Jesus on the cross. He has provided a pathway for us to live saturated in God's presence every day. And friends, that is your inheritance as a follower of Jesus. That that God in his great grace has made a way for you to live saturated, soaked in his presence, not some distant theological or intellectual pursuit, not merely some some dry and dusty uh, thing that happens in our head, but, but rather uh, God, by his grace, when he rescued us through Jesus Christ, when we repented our sin and placed our faith in him, 
God then brought us into his family to live in fellowship with him, to live saturated by his presence. He poured his spirit within us so that we all who are followers of Jesus live in the immediacy of fellowship and friendship with God. This is what God has done for us, even in between here and heaven. And we look forward to that day when we meet God face to face, when when we uh, enter into the glories of heaven. And there's no more tears and no more sorrow and no more illness and no more pain for the old things have passed away and God's made everything new. All of his creation, restored and rescued by his grace. We look forward to that day, but until we get there, we're still walking in between and we need the touch and the taste of heaven as we live. Now, when we look at Psalm 83, we we hear the psalmist begin uh, with a plea. And and this is the plea that... that, uh, that I would encourage you to to write down and take hold of. This, This prayer, do not keep silent, O God. Do not hold your peace. Do not be still, O God. This is the prayer that we pray. It is a prayer for God to help us. We pray for God to help us. We cry out in, a, in a, great, uh, a, a great act of faith for God to move on behalf of his people, to move on our behalf. This is a prayer that we have permission to pray boldly as followers of Jesus. You remember Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, it says, Therefore, Uh, Since we have such a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, who has passed through the heavens, let's hold fast, let's cling to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is Jesus. We do not have a high priest who can't sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but he was tested in every point, even as we are, yet he never sinned. Now, verse 16, therefore... Let us come boldly before the throne of grace, that we might find the grace and the mercy to help us in our time of need. Let us come boldly before the throne of grace. The psalmist came boldly before God and said, don't be still, don't be silent, don't be deaf to our cry, but rather, oh God, would you move on our behalf. Now, I don't know what your situation is, and I don't know the struggles that you face internally, externally. I I know that all around the seven cities of Hampton Roads today, there are people without power, and there are people that that, uh, are flooded in and and distressed and, 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 and people in need. All up the East Coast, the, 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 this hurricane has swept up the East Coast and, and, and created carnage and chaos and, and even killed people in Haiti. Over 900 people have lost their lives. And, and it's in these moments, especially these moments, that we need to lift our voices as the people of God and cry out, Oh God, answer us. Move on our behalf. We cry out for God's help. 
because we're desperately in need of it. We need God's help, not only in the circumstances of our life, but we need God's help because we do face enemies. Now, understand the context of Psalm 83. The psalmist begins with this plea in verse 1, God, will you hear? God, will you listen? God, will you speak? God, will you move on our behalf? But then, beginning in verse 2, he describes the problem. And the problem is very clear. There are hostile forces seeking to demolish Israel. There are hostile forces seeking to annihilate the people of God, to kill them off and to kill them out. It was the, 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 the plan, this great plan of these peoples listed in verses 2 and following. It's, it's their plan that we see come alive in many of our recent memory in, in World War II with Hitler and, and his regime seeking to wipe out the Jewish people. It, it's that kind of genocidal, homicidal craziness that the people of God are facing in this moment, real life people seeking to destroy them. Now, I want you to listen, uh, beginning in verse 2. It says, For behold, your enemies make a tumult. Those who hate you have lifted up their head. They've taken crafty counsel against your people. They've consulted together against your sheltered ones or treasured ones. And they've said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. The picture here is, and if you look down in in, in verse 12, he says, These are the people who said, Let us take for ourselves the pasture of God for a possession. It's the picture of, of wiping out God's people. Now, as we look at the enemies that Israel faced, and, and there is a litany list of different nations in Israel's history that had tried to wipe them out. As we look at the enemies in Israel's history that, that were trying to kill them, that were standing, uh, 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 standing over them, ready to demolish them, we need to understand as followers of Christ that we have enemies as well. As we look on this passage, perhaps in our American culture, it's hard for us to imagine a, a people, a, 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 a group of people, a nation who, who rise up to try to wipe out Christians. If you lived in places where persecution happens, it wouldn't be so hard to imagine those enemies, those individuals and those peoples with flesh and blood and oozy weapons and machetes ready to chop off heads and kill people because they're followers of Jesus. The, the, that kind of enmity is real. We're, we've been, we've been uh, protected from it in this nation called America, and, and I'm thankful for this great nation and the re- religious liberties that, that we have as a nation that protects us and keeps us from being killed because we're followers of Jesus. But it wasn't always like that. And it's not like that everywhere. As we look at, at, at these enemies that, that Israel 
mentions, that the psalmist de- de- declares before him. It, it, they are people trying to wipe out God's people. And as we look at the enemies around us, those hostile forces that threaten our very existence because we're followers of Jesus, there are many things that we may be tempted to do, but the first thing and the foremost thing is for us to cry out for God, our divine warrior, to intervene. Now, this is the great weapon that God has given us. It's not our political savvy. It's not our, our political uh, uh, approaches to life. It's, it's, it's not uh, who we put in the White House, thank goodness. But rather, it, it's God himself intervening for us to help us. It's our divine warrior standing between us and danger. When you look in the New Testament, here in Psalm 83, these, these enemies had, had flesh and bone. But when you look in the New Testament, even though the early church faced those types of enemies and faced severe persecution, when you read Paul's letters, Paul himself, who had been beaten and persecuted and left for dead, uh, stoned and, and whipped and put in prison, he, he understood physical persecution from flesh and bone enemies of the people of God. But when he started talking about enemies, it wasn't those flesh and bone enemies. He pulled back the veil a little bit, and he helped us understand that there is a greater force at work against followers of Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, and this perhaps is a familiar verse to you, the apostle Paul writes, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And Paul in Ephesians 6 calls us to be ready for the day of battle, that there are enemies of God and enemies of the people of God that are at work. But Paul says, look behind the flesh and bone and see the spiritual dimension that is working against followers of Jesus today. We do not wrestle. We're not at war against flesh and bone, but against principalities and powers, the rulers of darkness and of this age. These are spiritual forces that seem to uh, uh, swarm in an attack against God's people, and we don't always see it, but we need to always be ready and prepared. When we cry out to God for help, We are following in the footsteps that Paul outlined there in Ephesians 6 and how to gain victory. If you look down a little bit further in Ephesians 6, in verses 18 and 19, Paul says, okay, so we're in this battle and and we need God's help. And he he says, you need to put on the full armor of God. and, 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 And certainly we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And we need to take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And we need to shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We need to be ready and, and, and armed up for battle. But, but Paul then places the necessity of prayer right before us. In verse 18, he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and uh, uh, with all uh, uh, 
with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. We should pray in times of crisis when the intensity of our challenge may be met with the intensity of a petition before God. In prayer, we must be more urgent to come to God and ask Him for help than we are to take on the, 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 the enemies ourselves. You see, we're fallible, we're weak, we're fragile. But God is omnipotent. He is the mighty divine warrior who moves to intercede for us, to stand between us and danger. And so we, as the people of God, we must pray urgently. We must pray consistently. We must pray wholeheartedly. We must pray by the Spirit and in the Spirit for God to move in our lives to protect us, but not just to protect us so that we can live in our safe cocoon, guarded from all the onslaughts of cultural warfare and spiritual warfare. But rather, he calls us to pray intently and urgently so that we might move on the offensive so that we might make known the good news of God's great grace, so that we might make known the gospel that, that, that drove Paul to the utter, outer reaches of the world that should drive us as the people of God, regardless of what the culture says, regardless of what the government says, regardless of what our friends may say. We need to have that kind of fire in our bellies to share the good news of Jesus with the people who are living in darkness so that those who are far from God might find life in Jesus Christ. We need his help. We need his help. God is the divine warrior ready to intercede and intervene on behalf of his people, on behalf of you. You know, I, I, I think that perhaps our view of Psalm 23 and Jesus as portrayed in Psalm 23 needs a little rework every now and then. And if you've been with me uh, preaching any amount of time, you've heard me say this about Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is one of the most powerful passages in all of Scripture talking about who Jesus is. But so often we see him as a kindly shepherd laying down in green pastures along with us. And certainly that's part of the picture. But Psalm 23 is more the picture not of a kindly shepherd laying down and reposing, uh, you know, uh, in, the, in the meadows of clover. But rather it's more the picture of Jesus, the divine warrior, the shepherd, with staff in hand standing between his sheep. And danger. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. 
Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus is our divine warrior who is ready to give us help. Talk to him. Cry out to him. Plead with him. Oh God, don't be silent. Oh God, speak to us. Oh God, don't be still, but move on our behalf. We need help. And God offers himself to be our help. God is the divine warrior who uh, gets involved in, in our lives to help us. And we need to cry out in prayer to him because we need his help. But the second thing that I want you to see in this passage is that God is the divine warrior. And when enemies oppose God's people, they really are opposing God. When, 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 when there are people in flesh and blood, flesh and bone, when they oppose the people of God, the scripture here tells us very clearly that they are opposing God himself. I take note in, in verse 3 quickly. In verse 3 it says um, that these enemies taken crafty counsel against your people. And then the second phrase there in verse 3, and they've consulted together against your sheltered ones. In the New King James Version, the Hebrew there is really the people who are the treasure of God. Your treasured ones. These are the ones whom God counts as his treasure. And if you're a follower of Jesus, bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, make no mistake, you are treasured by God. He stamps upon you that stamp of his divine pleasure. You are treasured by him. And as his treasured ones, he's taken possession of you. You, you belong to him. We are the sheep of his pasture. We are his people. And yet, when the enemies attack, God takes that very personally. It's not just that, he's a, that, that these enemies are attacking um, an ideology it's not merely that they're attacking a, a, a group of people gathered together in worship. No, they are attacking him, self. You look in verse 5. The psalmist goes on, he says, For they have consulted together with one consent. They form a confederacy against you. You see that? In verse 3 and 4, it was against your people, but in verse 5, it changes. It's not just against God's people, it's against God himself. Friends, listen, it is, it is uh, not for nothing that Jesus said that, that this is his church that he will build. And even the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Why? Because we are his people. We are his people, and he takes ownership for victory in our lives and for his church. It doesn't mean we won't go through difficult days, but understand, victory is always assured for those who belong to God. 
Victory is always assured for those who belong to God. Can I just, I have a little sideways note here, and we've got some time, but uh, just a little sideways note. Opposing God's people is opposing God himself, and that's, that's really what, what, what the psalmist brings out in verse 5. But can, can we talk a second about who is opposing God's people? You know, in this election cycle, we hear a lot of, uh, you know, don't be on the wrong side of history and you don't want to vote wrong and get it wrong because you'll be on the wrong side and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and I understand that and, 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 and uh, you know, I struggle with that myself. But more importantly than being on the wrong side of a political party or on the wrong side of, 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 of a politician or uh, soon-to-be president, What's worse would be on the wrong side of God himself. See, there is a greater priority that we have as the people of God. Do you realize that in much of Israel's history, although not spelled out in Psalm 83, but in much of Israel's history, those who opposed God were the people of God. Those who stood against what God desired were the very people that he had rescued from bondage in Egypt. And in the same way as followers of Jesus today, can I just plead with you, set aside all personal ambitions, set aside all personal uh, priorities, set aside all uh, selfish and self-interested desires, and pursue with your whole heart God himself. Do not stand opposed to God's purposes as he unleashes them through his people. Don't stand against what God has designed. Don't stand against what God desires because that's being on the wrong side. And the consequences for you will be devastating. If you want to just listen to some of the some of the requests that the psalmist is making here and 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 I don't I don't want to I don't want to belabor this too much but but what the psalmist does beginning in verse 6 he says I'm going to remind you O Lord what you did before on behalf of your people so he describes he says the tents of Edom and Ishmaelites Moab and the Hagragites Gebal and Ammon and Amalek, Philistia and the inhabitants of Tyre, Assyria also has joined with them and they've helped the children of Lot. Verse 9, deal with them as you did with Midian, as with Sisera, as with Jabin at the brook Kishon, who perished at Endor, who became as refuse on the earth. Make their nobles like Oreb and like Zeb, yes, all their princes like Zeba and Zalmunna who said, let us take for ourselves the pastures of God for a possession. Oh, my God, make them like whirling dust, like the chaff before the wind. As the fire burns the woods, as the flame sets the mountains on fire, pursue them with your tempest and frighten them with your storm. As you listen to those words, I, I, I hope they cause you pause. And certainly these 
are prayers on the lips of God's people, crying out for his intervention. And these are the prayers that we should have. We should be aggressive in our prayer. By the way, if you want to know what this is called, it's called imprecatory praying. And these imprecations, these, these, these callings for God's great justice and judgment upon his enemies is, is harsh and it's painful and, 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 and it's, it's, it's severe. And, and yet, when we understand what's raw and real in the lives of the, of the people of God at that time, their life was threatened. And they were crying out for God to stand between them and the daggers of the enemy. So they asked God to make them like whirling dust, like refuse. In the Hebrew, that term for refuse is a little bit more vulgar. Asking God to lay them waste so that God's people won't be laid waste. Can I... Can I just say again, as I said last week, we need to make sure that judgment begins here with the people of God in the house of the Lord so that we're not on the wrong side of God's winnowing fork, so that we're not on the wrong side of what God determines is the best. And as followers of Jesus you and I both know we're apt to rebel against God and his desire. We are likely to elevate our own desires and put them as idols in our life and, and diminish God's desires. Make no mistake, the prayer, the imprecation in Psalm 83 can turn back on us if our heart is not right with God. You might say, well, God's a loving God for his people. Look, I will discipline my children because I love them. Just because you're a child of God, just because you're in his family, does not mean you will not get the stern hand of God as well as the loving hand of God. We need to hear this. We need to own this. We need to make sure that we're not standing between God and his purposes just because it contradicts our personal desires so opposing God's people is opposing God himself now I, I said a few moments ago we need to make sure our heart is right and that's what verses 16 through 18 does verses 16 through 18 really shows uh, the the integrity of the prayer see the integrity of our prayer even when we're asking God to bring judgment on our enemies on his enemies the integrity of that prayer is not us just emotionally uh, effusing out these these imprecations it's it, it, the, the the integrity of the prayer is is not found in our emotional um, uh, uh, uplift when we uh, just kind of unleash and vent these these cries for God to bring judgment on others we 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 understand that the integrity of the prayer is dependent upon our desiring to bring God glory. See, when the psalmist ends this prayer, he shows his heart. His heart is not for just these nations to be demolished, but ultimately his heart is for God to be known. We, we pray for people to know God. You look in verses 16 through 18 and, and just listen to the prayer and how it ends. It says, fill their faces with shame so that 
they may seek your name, O Lord. You see that? Fill their faces with shame so that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be confounded and dismayed forever. Yes, let them be put to shame and perish so that they may know that you, whose name alone is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. When we pray for God's help and we pray for God's intervention, we pray for God's protection against the enemies, we need to know that our prayers are seeking and serving God's glory, not our own. We know that the Scripture tells us clearly that God desires for every person to know Him. He, does, he, he desires for no one to perish outside of friendship with Him. God's heart beats for the rescue of sinners and enemies, even enemies of himself. We, we know that when we pray, we need to pray in such a way that, that, that the enemies of God might be turned to God. I wonder if that is the ingredient, the, the theme running through our prayers, even when we pray for God to block the opposition. Is it for those who are far from him to come to know him? See, I pray for God to do a mighty thing. I've, I've been praying hard about the presidential election and prayed even harder this, these last few days. I don't know if you have as well, but, but my prayer is that God would do something in the middle of these presidential elections that, that would be so out of the norm that, and shake everything up so dramatically that not only would God's people see that he, he alone is God, but that our nation might be turned again to seek and pursue God. And friends, can I just tell you, that prayer will not be answered by either Donald Trump nor by Hillary Clinton. Neither of them are worthy of our support or endorsement. But boy, wouldn't it be awesome if God did something, and I don't even know what that would be, but wouldn't it be miraculous, powerful, a testimony to him if he did something that would just absolutely shake us, shake our nation so that we might pursue God, so that we might see, yes, God is the Lord. See, the point of our praying for help is not merely for us to be safe. The point of our praying for help is that God's glory might expand. Is that God's good news of rescuing love might reach into the hearts and lives, even of those who are far from him. In between is a hard place to be. Some days are harder than others. But the good news for us is that we have God, the divine warrior, who is ready to intervene. Would you pray with me? Oh God, thank you so much for your abiding love, for your rescuing love. May we, your people, celebrate you 
May we honor you with our lives. God, may we cry out to you for help and know that you will answer us. Now, as we worship you, as we adore you, may you be glorified among your people. May you experience pleasure from your people praying. And may we live and abide saturated in the safety of your presence. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.